Praise God. We are going to be picking up our Bible study um, in the book of Acts. Uh, Pastor Joe has been teaching for the last several weeks. Um, I believe chapters 15, 14, 13, and 12. Um, and just been doing an amazing job. We've been, we've been keeping tabs. I've been able to bounce back and forth between several of our different ministries here on campus on Wednesday nights. Um, one Wednesday night, I was able to be with our, our Spanish brothers and sisters and sit in on the Bible study there with Pastor Frank Talavera bringing the word. And then I was over at the prayer and deliverance class that was given um, in La Capilla Hall. Um, and, and a lot of great things are happening there in, the, in, our, in our congregation because we're learning and we're growing. Amen. 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 Meow, can you help? Help, sister. Yeah. Ah, there we go. And and so we are picking picking up right in chapter sixteen of the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. We are going to have an abbreviated study. It won't keep us here um, all night. Um. The main purpose of tonight was to launch our youth service, pray over our, our children, especially in light of recent uh, national uh, tragedies. And I meant what I said. We can pray and we can trust and hope and we can only, we can only believe and have faith that the Lord is going to protect and, and look after our babies. But we know that some things are just absolutely out of our control sometimes, and we can only pray for the heart of man to be changed. And that can only happen by the word of God. That can only happen by the word of God penetrating the minds and hearts of the people. And that's where the body of Christ comes into play. That's where you and I, being built up in the word of God, will get to the point where we are going to be able to bring change in the lives of our friends, our families, our neighbors, and that's when we become true disciples of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts chapter 16, we're going to read through the whole chapter, and you're going to see that there are several sections, but I believe the Lord is going to, um, wants us to focus on the first section um, regarding uh, Timothy, and, and we're going to discuss what that what that means for the church, what that means for us, and how we can apply that to ourselves. Let's begin in the first five verses of Acts 16. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. 
So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Amen. Let's pause here for a second and let's talk about these first five verses that we've just read together. When it says he came to Derby and then to Lystra, Luke, who is authoring the book of Acts, is referring to the Apostle Paul. So Paul was the one who was setting out on his missionary journeys. And it was Paul's desire to reach as many people as possible, but it wasn't just to reach one person at a time. Paul's heart was to reach one village or one town at a time by setting up home churches where those churches would then in turn turn into community churches and fellowships where the word of God would be taught and where people would understand the ways of God from a different perspective. Not so much the Jewish perspective that that Paul came out of or that the disciples originally were raised and brought, brought up in, but it was the new way of Christ. And it was called the way. Everybody say the way. Hodos. Ha hodos in Greek is it, uh, in reference to the way. And that's what Christians were called back then or their movement. The movement was called the way. And so Paul was traveling. But wherever Paul went, Paul had to make sure that he set up groups and, and people where he would train and instruct and pour into them so that they would in turn be able to lead a people, teach the people the word of God. Now, mind, mind you, they didn't have the 66 books of the Bible that we have today. They had various excerpts of the Old Testament in parchment paper. They had letters that were written and were widely distributed that Paul had sent or had written to different towns and different churches and cities all throughout the Mediterranean region. And they would use Paul's letters and, and lots of his writings as the instruction by which they were to grow. So in essence, they were, they were building and creating the word of God as they went. Imagine in those days, in the first century, as they were living out their faith, they were almost putting pen to paper. They were putting pen to paper as they were finding out what pleased God and what was appropriate for them to be teaching, what was appropriate for them to be growing in and being raised up in when it comes to the word. So much of what was taught, you guys, was, was of verbal or oral tradition. Now let me ask us, and feel free to raise your hand if you have any questions or, or comments, but you guys, there's a big difference between us having the word of God that we teach from, that we pull from, extract from, and then actually having to lean on oral tradition or teachings of Jesus Christ that were being passed down or handed down from one person to another, much like generations. So you guys, what, what would be the biggest what would be the biggest difference for a new community of faith that didn't have the written Bible? Any thoughts? Ah, don't worry about it, Elias. Yeah, Sister Melinda.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without a, without a structure, you have to be very careful that the word didn't get diluted or that the word didn't become heretical very fast. Okay, heresy is when there's a particular teaching or a doctrine that starts getting bent or misconstrued or then people start adding to a particular teaching that the original apostles were teaching and giving to the people, these early Christians. So heresies were, were teachings that would start to say that, for example, Jesus, when he was resurrected, was not resurrected in bodily form, but that he was only a spirit, or as we call it, the Holy Ghost, that, that it was only a, um, a spirit that was resurrected. And that was the Gnostic belief. The Gnostics believed in gnosis or knowledge. And they believed that, that they could have access to God and be, have all of these things revealed to them through special knowledge. But in doing so, what happens is that they would start to go off on a tangent and begin to create sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects or divisions of the true faith or the way. But the only way to protect the oral tradition, the only way to protect the word of God and the gospel that was being formed, imagine that. The gospel was being formed and created there in the early church, the first century church. It was that Paul and the disciples that were stemming from Jerusalem would make sure that they had people that would be sent to help lead these Growing, small, first century churches. Are you following me? So it was essential that people would devote themselves to the cause of the gospel. It was essential that people would be able to understand, unlock their heart, and then give the, the rest of their life to the word of God. Isn't that a far cry from what we see taking place or happening in our world today? Even for us in the church, sometimes we're all guilty of watering down what ministry or what kingdom life really is supposed to look like. We're guilty of not truly living out our faith in a way that is expressed where people can see the radiance and the glory of God that shines through you and around you and over you and over your family. And so we're seeing here that in the book of Acts, chapter 16, as, as brought forth by Sister Melinda and her, her, her awesome contribution, that they had to be very careful that the gospel didn't start taking on a different form that was not intended to be shared or conveyed to other people. Are we all on the same page so far? And so we are so blessed to have the written word of God we're so blessed to have the spirit of Christ that is in the scriptures, the Holy Bible. And it's kind of like this in a way. Today at a funeral that we had here at church, one of our brothers from church and um, just a, a dear beloved brother who passed away prematurely. His daughter was sharing, her teenage daughter was sharing and recounting all of the memories that she had of her father. And she said, oh, now I, I realize that I had taken for granted the gift that he was to me in my life and the things that he did for us. And, and we can apply that. We can apply that to the word of God. We can apply that to the gospel. 
in our devotion to the Lord, we can apply that right here, right now, in this poignant moment in modern history, in U.S. history, where God is allowing recent tragic events to shake the hearts and minds and the foundations of what you and I have known to be the United States of America, land of the free. All of a sudden, people are saying, we have to redirect our priorities. We have to reestablish. We have to reevaluate and reevaluate what is most important. And for me, what God is impressing upon my heart and for our church is the body of Christ equipping itself. That means each and every one of us equipping ourselves to prepare ourselves for serving in the ministry and, and helping our youth, reaching our youth in the communities and serving in children's ministries in the nursery and raising our children in the ways of the Lord. Us creating more ways to reach our neighborhoods and our, and our people. We live in an unchurched era. You guys know what I'm saying? We live in a time and, and, and point in history where, you know, if, if you ask anybody, hey, are you familiar with Psalm 23? You know, the Lord is my shepherd passage. People will say no. If you say, what are the four gospels of the New Testament? They'll go, I have no idea. You ask them any question about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and folks don't know. But they know that God exists. I've come to find that out. I've come to know that a high percentage of people in the world believe in God. And God is calling us to help close that gap of connecting the fact that the God that they, that they know exists is Jesus Christ. And that's our jobs. That's our job. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And pause there for a moment. I want to come back to this idea or notion that the Apostle Paul knows that he can't do it on all by himself. He can't do it on his own. He has to make sure that he is training up the next wave of leaders that are going to be able to help him lead and pastor and and minister to the churches that they are establishing and that God is forming by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he had his eyes open for young believers, young leaders in the movement, which was the early church, and people that were devoted to the work of God. Amen? So his mother was a believer, but his father was not. And when it, when it mentions him, his father, as a Greek, it just meant that he was still mixed in with more of a worldly understanding of religion, but not a relationship or a devotion to the Lord or to God. Verse 2, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, talking about Timothy. 
Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Man, I feel bad for Timothy, all right? Having to get circumcised as an, as a, as an adult, I, wouldn't, I can't even fathom. I can't even fathom that, but he must, lo- he must have loved, loved Jesus a whole lot, huh? Praise God. Let's continue. Verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders. In- okay, watch this. Here we go. They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. All right. Now we are starting to move along in what is called church history. Everybody say church history. You know, when, when Jesus made that statement, he says, and you are Peter, upon whom I will build my church. You remember that passage? And Peter was head of the church in Jerusalem. And so now we are talking about the formation of the first church. And so people look to Jerusalem as kind of like the main headquarters for the, the early church. They looked to Peter and many of the apostles. And it, and it explains right here that Paul was even recognizing the teachings, the doctrines, and watch this, the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now I want to pause there for a moment and I want to explain why this is significant. This is very significant for us because it, it explains where the church began to organize itself. That the church could, not, could no longer just be a loosely connected group or gathering of people that came together to, to, to pray, to have fellowship. But they, they needed to start form, forming the kinds of things that would build the infrastructure for the church. Here we are some 2,000 years later, right, you guys? And church as we know it obviously has also been shaken up in the last two and a half years during the pandemic. The church has had to truly, truly, truly redefine, rediscover, humble itself, humble herself, And go to the Lord to try and find the understanding and to receive wisdom and knowledge as it pertains to what is the purpose of the church. Because for nearly two years, many people, especially in different parts of the country, depending on all the protocols and laws regarding COVID, had church from home. And let's be honest, how many of us needed that time to be with our families? How many of us needed that time to be able just to close in and, and spend time in the word and in prayer and to just get away from everything and create a, a type of reset for us in the faith? I know for us here at Mission Ebenezer, it created a tremendous time to reset and to be refreshed. So much so that we revised our whole mission and vision as a church which brought us to our three main movements, restore, equip, and send. Simplifying these things, restore, equip, and send. 
our purpose as a church, our mission, simplifying these things so that we as a church can, can hold closely to the purpose of why we gather together. It's to restore people to God and to restore one another into true fellowship in the faith. And why are we being restored and why is there a need to be restored? It's because there is brokenness in the world. And the first broken relationship that exists is between God and man. And from there continues brokenness between one to the other. The brokenness that is that vertical relationship between us and God then extends to our brokenness between one another. And that brokenness is because of sin. It's because of sin. It's because of selfishness. It's because of our desire to place ourselves at the center of the world and not the kingdom of God. And so that restoration process brings us to a place of understanding that the Lord wants to use us in the kingdom of heaven to be, so that we're equipped, so that we decrease and that Christ increases. And every time the Lord purifies us, every time the Lord brings us to a place or a time of refining, like the refiner's fire, all the impurities of that gold are removed. And as the impurities are removed, you and I become a closer reflection of who Christ truly is. And that's a process of equipping that our minds are being transformed, that our lives are being renewed, right? That the word of God is replacing in us the things of the world that have found their way and crept into our, our, our spirits, our spirit man, our spirit woman. The word of God rebuilds and starts to establish the man or the woman that God wants us to be. And then we're sent. We're sent to go back and reach or restore those who are, don't have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Why am I elaborating on these points? I'm elaborating on them because that is a part of what they were doing here in the early church, which was establishing and forming the infrastructure and the, the guidelines and the, the, the ways in which the church should operate. We call that church doctrine. Look what it says. It says that in Jerusalem, the apostles and elders um, gave the people what they were to obey. So in other words, the church in its conception and inception is now starting to formulate how they're going to exist, how they're going to be able to, to cooperate with one another. We're talking about church discipline. Right? What should happen in the event that such and such takes place or happens? These were all things that were starting to be formed at that point in the church because it was brand new. They were no longer operating from the 600 and some odd commandments of the Old Testament. They stood on the principles and the statutes, the precepts, the laws of the Old Testament. But now the church of Jesus Christ was starting to establish for itself a new way of being, a new way of, 
of living, a new way of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul saw that it was important for the people to have order within their faith, order within their home churches to start establishing the Christian traditions of home life, establishing a new order for the men to have only one wife. Think about that for a moment. For thousands and thousands of years, natural human history and anthropology shows us and teaches us that, you know, in all nations and all people groups, there were polygamous traditions as it pertained to the marriage of men towards women. Men could have multiple wives. In the early church, it was going through the process of reestablishing those new norms. And those norms that were established 2,000 years ago are norms that we still practice, norms that we still have to this day. Isn't that crazy? There's so many things in our modern-day Western civilization that were impacted by the Christian movement 2,000 years ago and by the early church. Shortly thereafter, after Luke writes the book of Acts, then you're going to be able to spread and send the written word of God to house churches and city churches that began to form and spring up and pop up all throughout the Mediterranean region. So, we see now that the relationship between Paul and Timothy is being formed right here in Acts chapter 16. He saw a young man who was committed, who was devoted, who was capable, and who was competent. Later on in Scripture, this is really, really cool, after Paul had left Timothy to pastor one of the churches in one of his letters, he had to urge Timothy to stay because after spending about a year helping to form a church, Timothy wanted to rejoin Paul and the missionary journeys and, and, and get the band back together again. And Paul says, no, Timothy, my dear brother, as much as I love you, as much as I would love to have you right here by my side, your calling is a greater calling. And Christ needs you to remain where you are and pastor the people that God has called you to pastor. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing how the Lord has a purpose and a calling for all of us and a season that God is preparing us for and it's such a blessing. I thank the Lord for Timothy joining Paul and Silas and learning ministry firsthand from Paul. Let's take a look. We'll spend about five more minutes. Let's just peruse through the remainder of chapter 16. 
Maybe we'll pick back up in 16 next week. Cause 16 is just such a rich chapter. It talks about uh, Paul's vision of the man in Macedonia, Lydia's conversion in Philippi. talks about Paul and the Macedonian jailer and the radical, miraculous uh, salvation um, that, is, that is described. But look what it says uh, in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So it says that the Holy Spirit put him on, ho- on hold and said, nope, don't go there. And it says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed from Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, there Paul received a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That just goes to show that the Holy Spirit does, in fact, intervene and involve himself in the affairs of man. That the Holy Spirit, when he sees that there's a work that needs to be done, sometimes will close a door for us in one particular area and open up a completely new door because God knows what he has for us on the other side of that door. How many of you have ever seen, have ever seen God work like that in your life? And no matter how hard you, you pushed, no matter how hard you tried, God just kept the door closed, whether it was a relationship that Lord said, nope, I'm putting a stop sign on this relationship. This is not what I have for you. And only God knows why he prevents us from being able to do things that we desire to do or even want to do. You know, sometimes we're stubborn, right? And we try to plow right. We, we do a California rolling stop through the red side, the red stop sign. And the Lord says, no, stop completely. The Holy Spirit stopped them dead in their tracks and says, no, that is not where I want to send you to Macedonia because Macedonia is ready. They're primed. The soil is, is fertile. It's fertile ground. And they are ready to hear and receive the gospel. And that is where the next tremendous movement of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit for salvation is going to take place there in Macedonia. And you can read so much on what God did there in Macedonia. Um, Then we see in verse 11 through 15, the conversion of Lydia when Paul and his crew um, were passing through Philippi, which was a Roman port town, much like, like San Pedro. It was right on the port. People had to travel through there all the time. Lots of trading, lots of selling, lots of business and commerce. And Lydia was a, a, a woman business owner who did very well in selling um, linen that was dyed in the color of purple which is a very rich color. And so she had a very, very lucrative business there in Philippi. The Bible says that she was a woman devoted to God and she received Christ, which is different from being a woman devoted to God. People can, be, can acknowledge or know who God is, but there's a difference between knowing God um, and knowing of God, excuse me, and knowing God, amen? So when you get to know God, we recognize who Jesus is. And that was the... That was what was taking place in um, Lydia's life. Um, Mind you, Paul and his men, his followers, do you know how they funded lots of their missionary journeys? Anybody know? 
fixing and selling tents, making tents. So they had their own business that for profit that they hustled and they took wherever they went. And wherever they went, they would trade and they would be able to fund the work of the ministry that God had called them to do. They also received offerings. Once the churches started to form and get, to get very, very well established, they were able to start raising offerings. They were able to start taking collections. And some of the more wealthy churches, like in Rome, Rome was a very wealthy place, and it was a place where they would often go Corinth. How many of you have ever read um, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 that talk about Paul raising up a tremendous offering there in Corinth and them being some of his most generous supporters um, of, of the works of Christ? And he commends them for their generosity and asks them to continue giving. And they would, guess what Paul would do? Paul would raise up collections and offerings and take them back to Jerusalem where the people were not as well off, especially the early, the early church. I have some, some, some takes. I was a history major at UCLA and studied lots of the Roman history, um, early movements of the, the Christian church, even when I was there at UCLA. And one of the things that I, I saw was very, very interesting was that the early Christian church was persecuted, especially in Jerusalem. And because they were persecuted, it also would affect their, their business. It would affect their livelihood. And so many of the, 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 the Christians, the early church in Jerusalem were not very well off because people would make it very, very difficult for them, especially the Jews who were not of the way or didn't believe in Jesus or who Jesus was and that he was God, that he was Messiah, the way Paul and the other apostles were teaching, they didn't believe that Jesus was him. And so they made it very, very difficult for the Christians. They made life hard on them. And it affected every area of life, as you can probably imagine. And the rest of chapter 16, um, it, it talks about Lydia's whole household getting baptized and saved through the message of the gospel that, that the apostle Paul taught. Um, there on the Sabbath, down by the riverside. And then uh, Paul and Silas, when they were thrown in prison because of their proclamation of the gospel, they continued to, um, God blessed them, um, but they were uh, refusing to keep their mouths closed from preaching the gospel. People were accusing them of being detractors, detractors or being heretics of the Jewish faith. And so they were causing problems for them, throwing them in jail time and time after again. We read in Acts chapter 5, Peter and, and, and the rest of the disciples being thrown in jail and pulled out of jail, so on and so forth. But these brothers were committed. They were persecuted. And we find right here in Acts chapter 16 that uh, Paul was um, not going to uh, stay quiet because he couldn't. He could not stay quiet because of what God had demonstrated and revealed to him in his life. And through his testimony and his faithfulness to the Lord, there was a jailer that Paul um, met while they were there um, in prison that came to Christ. His whole family came to Christ because there was a tremendous earthquake. And when the earth shook, the gates of the jail broke wide open and the jailer just knew that all of the prisoners had fled and left, which would have required his life because his life his his job was to, uh, was to keep st uh, 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 
a very, very tight governance over the jails of those times. And if anybody would escape, you would require your life. Well, when Paul heard the guy agonizing, probably heard the commotion that he was about to fall on his sword, Paul calls out in the, in the still of the night, in darkness, and says, stop. Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. We haven't gone anywhere. The Lord has told us to stay. And the man saw the integrity of the Christians, the fact that they did not flee. And it was that testimony and that, the power of God that God, that God uh, moved in Paul and Silas and the rest that were there with them that, that brought the man to salvation. He asked, he asked Paul, he says, so about this God that you serve, how must I receive salvation? Paul said, only believe in Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're going to end right there um, in the Word of God, Acts chapter 16. We're going to pick back up in Acts chapter 16, go a little bit more in depth next week. Let's go before the Lord. Um, if, if I gave us some homework, would, would we do it? Would you guys do it? Next week. I want, you, I want you to read through Acts chapter 16, all right? I want you to bring some questions, all right? We're going to set up next week with some teaching and then some questions, some answers so that we can discuss and dive into the Word of God um, and bring some, some greater understanding. I think in the church we have a whole lot of one-way teaching and preaching. It's a blessing sometimes when we can slow down and we can facilitate a, a dialogue and have questions and answers and, and learn and, and um take our understanding a little bit deeper. But uh, why don't we go before the Lord and let's, let's thank him for tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we love you. Thank you for your word. Just your word, just reading your word, Father God, is all we need. But when we can study it, we can understand it, when we can learn to, learn to grow from it, Father God, that's when you change our lives. That's when you bring us to a greater commitment and a devotion to you. Lord Jesus, help us to be greater examples to our children and our families. Help us, Father God, to, to devote, devote our, our lives to you, Father God, in this, this hurting world right now. There's no greater hour than now for the church to be alive and to be stand up and, and present and accounted for. Right now is the day and the time of the church. Father, I hear people think us Californians are crazy, but Lord... You've called us for such a time as this, the church to stand up in California, the church to speak out in California and throughout the nation and the world. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to be those kinds of disciples that are not ashamed of the gospel, that are not ashamed, Father God, of living out our, our lives and our faith in front of our families, our friends, and speaking the truth and giving and handing out the message that you love them. And that you died for them and you forgave them already. And that all they have to do is say yes. Teach us how, Lord Jesus. Move our hearts, Father God. And forgive us for our sins. For our imperfection. All we know we're covered by your blood. But at the same time, Father, we, we ask that you continue to teach us and be patient with us as we grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you Sunday.